You're listening to Intelligent Data, a podcast by Proficient. Proficient is a global digital consultancy that's transforming how the world's biggest brands connect with customers and grow their businesses. Throughout this series, you'll learn how valuable data is today and how it can transform your business. And now here's our host, Arvind Morali, Data Chief Strategist and Principal at Proficient. Data is the God algorithm, he said. So far, you've heard a lot of data experts talk about the value of data in this podcast. However, in this show, I had the pleasure of speaking to Nandan Mulakara about data-driven intelligent automation. We covered process-driven intelligent automation and data-driven intelligent automation, in addition to topics such as OCR, customer experience, and error handling. We talked about the importance of human in the loop and how this field is more augmentation than just automation. Nandan had given a lot of specific examples and topped it off with facts from the industry analysts. I am certain you will enjoy our conversation. Research shows that bad data costs business between 10 to $15 million annually. However, the reason for that cost is due to the fact of building data-driven business processes, driving decisions, such as personalization or customer experience with bad data. Intelligent automation is a field of automating back office applications and customer facing applications using technologies such as RPA and AI to optimize workforce productivity. Our guest today, Nandan Mullakara, is an expert in this area. Nandan advises organizations to optimize, digitize, and automate your processes with RPA and, of course, human in the loop. We will explore two major disciplines, uh, whilst others, including process-driven and a data-driven automation today. Nandan, welcome to the Intelligent Data Podcast. Thanks for having me, Arvind. Nandan, would you introduce yourself a little bit of your background and how you are where you are today? All right. Yep. Thanks again, Arvind. I know you're passionate about data and you know look forward to this chat. Okay, about me, I'm I'm generally passionate about technology and the possibilities of technology, especially with the exponential technology growth that we're having. I'm really bullish about the whole digital space. I've been in technology for a couple of decades. I've been into automation of late. Around five years back, I got into automation. We were looking for levers to reduce costs, and that's where we discovered robotic process automation. And as you can see, the industry is right now booming. But when I started the five years back, it was just taking off and, you know, we had to evangelize automation and things like that. Right now, people know about automation. It's more about how we can scale the automation and do it uh, well. Absolutely. Thanks for the background on that. So automation is becoming a critical and if not the one of the core pieces of digital transformation. Can you Explain in simple layman words, what is intelligent automation? Yeah, intelligent automation to me is a bit of a buzzword, uh, but it all means something similar, right? And it all means adding intelligence to automation. And to me, you know, wherever there is an intelligence placed, it means adding AI. So take the example of intelligent ERP. Uh, so SAP, S4, HANA, they call it as intelligent ERP because it's mainly AI added to ERP. So I think automation with 
AI is what's basically called as intelligent automation. Now, the whole thing gets a bit complex from there, right? Because the automation piece itself can mean multiple things because there are many contenders out there. So one of the contender is robotic process automation, which is where I have my specialization is in. There is uh, digital process automation or DPA, um, and various kinds of automation. There's a lot of low code, no code, even code technologies like Python can be used for automation. Uh, but it's about software automation, right? And then the AI bit can involve multiple pieces. It can be computer vision, which is used a lot in automation nowadays, natural language processing or NLP, machine learning and all, right? So, But at the end of the day, people, when they're saying intelligent automation, they're basically talking about enhancing automation with AI. And I think that's a natural progression for all these technologies. So RPA or DPA, they're all adding AI and it's becoming more intelligent. So it's intelligent automation. So is it fair to say that you can make automation intelligent by using data? Data is the kind of core fundamental or is it more on the process side too where you take a mundane operation like you know OCR for example the old school OCR can you just maybe take that back office automation and then use uh, you know like vision or NLP kind of algorithms to convert that into a digital asset and that's considered intelligent automation or no yeah actually what you said the OCR part right now yes we are using AI to make you know what people are calling AI OCR and make OCR so much better than what it was it's no more OCR that part is also being referred to now as intelligent automation but again it's it's wherever AI is coming and it becomes intelligent uh, and then there is that whole process part right I mean which is kind of you know, people call it dumb, but it's not exactly dumb, but it's more rule-based automation, which is, you know, which is involved. Absolutely. That, that is a good uh, example. I, I just wanted to double click on this OCR part a little bit, right? So I've been engaged in OCR for the last 10 years. I know they used to call it OCR. Now maybe there is a different name to it, but in, a, in its fundamentals, it is about digitizing the assets. For example, you take a large bank, Typically, the application for OCR for a bank would be automation of some of their paperwork. A person applying for a bank loan would have, you know, hundreds of pages of signature that they need to do. This is, you know, again, 10 years ago. Nowadays, it's all digitized from the go-get, right? And Correct. intelligent automation, do you foresee an aspect of, say, human is checking the paperwork that is being signed, which is hundreds of papers, and they figure out, oh, wait a minute, I haven't asked our our loan applicant to sign this page two days after they have to send another paper copy they have to ask the person to sign it scan it send it back is this what intelligent automation means or is it more than that it's not just about signatures it's actually analyzing you know is my applicant worthy and then following some other threads of intelligence behind it what what is this extension of ocr these days nandan so the extension of ocr i think can be in multiple ways right so as i said earlier the ai within OCR or, you know, the OCR itself is different, right? It's much more intelligent now. And so that part is different. And but then like you mentioned, there's more things that we can do with once you've got the data freed out, right? But that 
freeing out the data is the first step, believe it or not, right? So what you have been working for 10, 15 years or, you know, whatever long you've been working on, I think we are at just at that place where we are starting to make more sense of freeing up the data. What I mean by that is having an accuracy which is good enough for us to use for our automation. I can tell you when I was doing this like five years back, we went, we used multiple technologies to get data out of our finance documents. And it was not there, you know, it was like 85, 90% there. I would say right now it's probably around 95% there, still not there fully. So what I suggest to people is a combination of using uh, AI OCR plus RPA or any rule-based uh, techniques, including like a, maybe like a parser, plus even people, you know, where uh, it's really difficult for all these uh, machines to read the things out. Um, so that that's one aspect about it. But that's, I think, the huge or a bigger aspect outfit that we are comple- right now working on. And if you look at most of the automation providers, a lot of them are focused on that. There are actually automation providers like Antworks who are focused right on that and freeing up that data. Uh, but then you look at UiPath or Blue Prism, everyone has got an offering which actually is a form of OCR. Once the data is freed up, then I think it opens up a lot of possibilities. So I think that's the first step. And then there is possibilities of, let's say, in a banking environment, checking for a fraud, for example. And we can use for AI and check for fraud, or we can use uh, computer vision and check for signatures. We can do various things, right? You can check for patterns. You can So there are various things we can do once the data is freed up and which can be done, you know, which can be enabled through this workflow automation tools. I love this this sentence you're coming back to, which is freeing up the data. So essentially, just, just so that I can articulate it back to you, you're saying that is such a critical asset. So people use the word digitizing of assets, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Paper document getting converted to a digital format so that that will become a piece of content, a piece of data for us. So that to your point, after that, I can now build insights or analytics or even mundane things like monitoring stuff, you know, mandatory stuff that needs to be done in a paperwork. Um, but the first step you're saying is, is that what freeing up the data means, digitizing assets? Yes, yes. I, I mean digitizing. Yeah, people call it digitizing, but I like to call it freeing up data because Love 80% it. of the data by many estimates are in this unstructured data formats. And then with this data first economy, data first organizations, the first step is to free up that data. And that's why I call it free up the data. Yeah. That is a very nice representation. So, you know, going back to that statement of yours, what other maybe hard and soft benefits, if you can throw in some examples, have you seen in this whole intelligent automation lifecycle? I don't know if that's the right way to put it. I think intelligent automation brings with it a lot of benefits. And that's one reason it is taking off quite a bit. And one key thing is improved productivity, right? And that's pretty obvious because machines, yeah, duh, can do, do many things faster than people. It, But then it can also do various other things like compliance better. It can, as I said earlier, reduce fraud, security. But the two key things I always like to tell my customers is about experience and errors, right? So there are some areas that machines do much better than humans. And 
and and I think that these are two areas. And one is improving the customer experiences or employee experiences because you know and i'm working with a customer right now and uh, I, I like that they're approaching that whole thing from an employee experience perspective because if you get at it from that perspective then you're looking at it in overall level and not just going and automating one part of the puzzle and then we, you wonder why didn't it actually meet the objectives right because we are not looking at the end customer and many times we just go and automate certain tasks which we think is good but then it's probably there's some other bottleneck and then the whole process as a whole doesn't improve uh, so i like the approach of uh, improving the employee experience and customer experiences and and i'll come to this uh, you know later probably in terms of automation also we are moving from this whole back office to a front office to improving the experiences. Uh, the other aspect is the errors, right? Like the human errors is one of the key areas that I think improves. And so going back to freeing up the data, one of the problems why we have a lot of bad data in enterprises is because you know, humans are not meant to be machines entering the data, copy pasting the data, and they make some mistakes. And then the data is there. And by some estimates, I think IBM estimated like a few years back, it's trillions of dollars of cost because that bad data gets into the system and, and, and it basically creates a lot of problems. This might be somebody not entering a mandatory field because in the user interface, it doesn't catch all of that issues. Are you talking yeah. about those kind of errors, like human errors? They're that kind of errors, and most are those kind of errors. And then, you know, people are also a bit smart, right? They see that, oh, this invoice is not going through. I can put through something, and then it goes through. <laughs> uh, yeah, manipulation. You are spot on. I'm seeing that, um, you know, they use the word constantly, work around the system, if you will, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is a beautiful point. I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, just one question on the experience part, what you stated. So... I'm assuming you are talking about some kind of a journey map. So I look at the big picture, the entire process flow, if you will, and where does intelligent automation fit into this? Maybe there are 15 different processes within one end-to-end -end process, and you can think about automation in a few of those. Is that what you mean by experience, looking at the whole thing instead of, or, or the sum of parts is always better than the parts itself? Is that what you're thinking about? Yes, exactly. And what you said is exactly right. What, you know, over a period of time I've now started doing is actually customer journey mapping rather than doing process. So earlier what we used to do is go do process discovery. And then, you know, it is about finding, asking the people, what is the process, note it down, come back, prioritize and go say, okay, these are a few things we need to automate. Uh, now we approach it more from an you know, journey perspective. So we look at the overall journey of, uh, it's just actually the whole customer journey and we use tools like Miro and things like that where we're basically actually mapping what an customer or an employee is doing along the way, what are the pain points that they're facing and what who are the stakeholders involved in it. And we are looking at it from their perspective, how it can be improved, not just from automation. In fact, we look at it first from like, how can we optimize this process without any automation? How can we probably even eliminate this process? Uh, because many of these things are branches, which is probably, you know, shouldn't have been happening. And then we look at, okay, this is the process and now we see opportunities to automate. So then let's see which all we can automate. That is fantastic. You know, what's interesting is, so I, I do 
fair bit of research on intelligent automation. And then based on what Gartner says and Forrester says and all the analysts says, I see two kinds of trends out there. So there's the process-driven automation and then there's the data-driven intelligent automation. Now, this ties in nicely with the two things you said, which is tracking experience. So understanding the journey map, whether it's a customer or an employee. And the second part of it is tracking and trapping errors which is kind of going to the data-driven, right? You were talking about the negative connotation of data-driven, which is errors, right? But there is also the positive connotation of of data-driven, which is analytics and insights. So if I see a trend in intelligent automation based on the data, as in what the data says, I can clearly see a, a particular trend and I can act on it. Maybe I can put a trap in the front end if I constantly see a particular field not getting populated and that's so important for us, right? Those kind of things. Now, let's go one at a time. Let's focus on process-driven first. So I'm very interested in your perspective on these two things you said about experience. So one is automation. The other one is elimination of business processes, right? Can you maybe deep dive a little bit? Like, what is the difference between automation and elimination? Yeah, so I think everywhere we should look to understand the process first. And that's something we have discovered over a period of time that processes are more complex than we think. And we we would go and ask when we started, we would go and ask our business people uh, what the process is and they would come up with the process and, and the way they have it in their head, right? And then to be fair to them, it's all very simple the way they look at it. And then we would do the automation and we'll go back and tell them, then they'll say, no, no, this is this, uh, this branch you have missed, this part you have missed. And that time we didn't have these tools to look at automation or, or you know, these processes in a better way. Now we have process intelligence and process mining tools, which can actually map out these processes for us. And that is another data that was very interesting that people are building right now. I was actually interviewing Pankaj Chowdhury, who is the CEO of Fortress IQ, which is one of the process intelligence companies. He was talking about how how what we have been doing so far has been like episodic capture of data. So what it mean by that, what he means by that is that in process mining, we're basically looking at a snapshot at a certain point of time, how the process is doing. And what they are betting on is from the UI elements and what they can capture from what people are doing at their computers, they can get a complete view of the process. And not only that, they can get a view continuously. It is not like at this particular point of time, I have this process. And then we go look at that process and try to optimize and eliminate. But he's saying, let's continuously keep monitoring and then continuously optimizing. So almost like, how does my process trend? What are some of the positives and negatives of my process and how are people using it? Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. How are people using it? Not like, you know, I'll see, this is the first thing I said is how when we went to business people and they were just telling us they're just in their heads. The second thing is process mining, which we actually get an X-ray. Actually, many of these vendors use the term X-ray. But this, they're talking about a continuous monitoring because the process is continuously changing. The way multiple people do things is different. And so it's changing. So we keep learning now that we have the AI, we have the data. They're actually creating this new kind of data for process intelligence. And you can continuously improve and you can actually uh, optimize continuously. And it's not like one 
time optimization because that's one other failing of ours has been to keep these things in neat little boxes and think that this will, uh, you know, stay static. It is not like that. It keeps changing. So we keep optimizing. We keep eliminating. One more thing they do is they don't just take the data from one person working. They take data from, let's say there's a team of 15 people for finance. They monitor all the 15 people. They make sense across all these people and see what processes they are following. So a new person, Todd, has joined the team and he's following it uh, wrongly. There is ways now to know that and tell him that, Todd, this is a better way. We have been all been doing this and this is a better way to do it. So that data is can help us continuously monitor, uh, optimize, eliminate, and even automate. This is fascinating because if you look at the world of digital marketer, right? So what happens is a a marketer creates a campaign based on whatever analytics that he or she is going through. I've now created a campaign. I've launched it in social media, be it Facebook, LinkedIn, Insta, and what have you. Now, there is a journey in this process because let's say a lead comes in, a lead then becomes, or actually, yeah, a lead comes in, a lead becomes a prospect, a prospect becomes a customer, and then a customer becomes a loyal customer. This, in this entire journey, there is a process where, you know, a lead is converted to a prospect. Now, given that Facebook social media ad campaigns are extremely dynamic, if I have the process intelligence at my hand, I can constantly tweak my campaign, my message that I'm trying to deliver in my campaign based on the types of feedback that I'm getting from my lead. Let's say I, I put a campaign for a certain product and I'm not getting any leads or I'm not getting any sentiments, and I capture that through a process, be it you know starting from a campaign, from a marketing platform into an ERP platform, and now I have full control over my process. To your point, this is a continuous improvement, and it can be as continuous as updating my campaign on a daily basis, depending on the number of leads I'm getting from that campaign. No? Exactly, exactly. And the key term that you mentioned is dynamic. And that's where we are going, right? Actually, we are becoming more and more dynamic. You just have to react quickly. And you cannot do that with our earlier siloed ways of, you know, looking at process or even even organizing ourselves in departments (laughs) siloed way. We actually have to react in real time. Yeah, exactly. How are people adopting to this? I mean, Look, RPA, when it started, I don't know, 10 years ago, five years ago, it was just automating simple, mundane human tasks, which we don't have to spend too much time on, whether it's ERP, finance, those are all typically the areas where RPA was as at its best. Now we're talking digital marketing. Now we're talking clinical, like doctors writing doctor notes. It goes through an analytic process and RPA takes that. It converts that into meaningful analytics and it says, hey, you need to test this person immediately before that person actually goes out of the hospital because the doctor says this person has depression. The person came in for sickness, but then they walk away with you know, a, a proper treatment of depression, which has nothing to do with literally feeling sick. But RPAs can actually do that, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so where do you see RPA evolving to becoming a process mining, process intelligence? I don't know, further, how does this look like? Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting, uh, Arvind. So <laughs> when I started, I said five years back, it was uh, just taking off. And you can see that, you know, when you look at the whole journey of UiPath, UiPath, by the way, just filed for an IPO and they filed an S1. And so we know more about UiPath, right? So UiPath, actually took 
10 years to hit 1 million ARR. Uh, and so, you know, they started around 2005 and then by 2015 is when they were hitting their stride, right? And then, then on, they have been growing so fast, right? Like within 18 months, they hit, I think, 2 million and, and so on. But so it's, 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 and now it's 600 million. So just look at that growth in six years. So right now is when, you know, it, it's, it's exponentially increasing. And why I mentioned that is that what's happening is that we are in like a flywheel of improvement, right? Because mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. are seeing the value of the automation. And once people are seeing the value in automation, they are applying it like customers with let's say, off UiPath itself is buying more. And what happens is that they have more uh, money coming in, not only from customers, through investments and things like that. And then UiPath, for example, is releasing a lot of ton of features. And then UiPath, because of UiPath and the competition, others are also forced to, you know, and not forced to, other people also coming up with a lot more features. So actually we are in a a flywheel of improvement and it's continuously improving. And so if you look at it, when, like you said, RPA, when it started, it was more like a rule-based only a rule-based thing and it had mostly UI-based integration uh, and and some OCR, right? And actually, I remember the OCR, the Google Tesseract, which was uh, bundled with Blue Prism, for example, was not at all capable. Blue Prism was one of the initial RPAs that I worked on and it was just a small, I mean, don't get me wrong, small yet powerful use case, but it was just laser focused on digitizing assets. There, there wasn't much analytics to it. And that's a big improvement for humans. But nevertheless, it's a small niche market. Now, based on what you're saying, you throw in deep learning in there, you throw in ML, you know, NLP and ML in there. That's a whole different ecosystem where you're now merging RPA plus NLP plus ML, maybe deep learning, plus maybe, you know, process intelligence to your point. This ecosystem of intelligent automation is just growing fast. One of the examples you stated is UiPaths grows in the last growth in the last five years versus the last 10 years or the 10 years before that. Exactly. And, and and it's not just the automation ecosystem that's growing. There's a whole ecosystem of tools developing around it, which is also growing. I'm talking to blueprint systems now that they're just they're just sitting in between the process mining tools and the RPA creating a process design and standardizing that aspect. They are growing well, too. I think the pie is pretty big. And also this whole ecosystem is growing a lot. And also in terms of technology, like you said, you know, Blue Prism, when we started, you know, and, and everyone when we started, and it was not so long back, right? It was just five years back. They, they were not so capable tools. But now if you look at these tools, they are so much more capable, not just because of their the tools itself, the tools itself have grown because of the features that has added, but also because of two two other things. One is if you take UiPath's case, it's the community. The community has added so much more. Uh, and if you look at, let's say, Blue Prism case, there is, they have this technology alliance program and with the alliances they have, they have added quite a bit. So overall, as I said, this whole ecosystem is kind of growing very fast. It's very exciting. This whole process intelligence is another cutting edge. Uh, But having said all these things, I must say that RPA is still relevant because uh, uh, going back to that 50% of data still in 
in in papers or you know in 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 those documents uh, it's still there right it's still out there it has to be solved and and i think that's where we'll keep starting and we'll keep doing things we'll keep adding ai it'll get more interesting but i think it's it's both combined i mean it we will not leave process automation completely anytime soon but it'll soon and soon start getting boring and then you know you will it'll be more and more working with uh, process intelligence plus uh, this process automation largely forming on its own that's one more trend i'm seeing with people working you know from for this uh, new kids on the block working is basically looking at the process intelligence data and actually creating the automations automatically and that's kind of like you know right now maybe around 20 30% there but that will also improve and then maybe we'll get to a stage where we like 70% automations will 70% of the automation is already automated <laughs> absolutely you talked a lot about uh, you know 70% of uh, world's data is still in paper form an interesting use case came to my mind so i was talking to somebody from forbes magazine as you know again 5 years ago 10 years ago every company you go and visit there will be a forbes magazine sitting on their lobby you you will have literally the paper magazine that you can sit down and read so when i was talking to this guy he was saying hey you know what we've done now is we don't go paper anymore we go digital so what they are doing now is that they have completely digitized their assets and i'm not talking just the new ones that are coming out i'm talking 50 years ago when forbes started publishing their magazines which is an amazing set of contents that they publish but by going digital they are now having everything that they published n number of years ago all in digital format that you can just go to their website and search for it that is so powerful because now all you need is your phone and you have forbes magazine in your phone that's really amazing you know what digitization and you know and, and making everything available on a phone makes possible right it's something probably we didn't even think about 5 10 years back now now we are here where we expect those things exactly and that's where that whole dynamic aspect that you spoke about earlier you know people's expectations are also changing accordingly we, we talked a lot about the positives of this let's talk about the other side right what does it do to humans look as a human i've constantly heard that somebody's job is being threatened because we are putting some automation in place right there is a major concern around human workforce and upskilling and obviously we all know that machines are more efficient accurate scalable all those facets but we also know that machines are not intelligent when we keep using that word intelligence it is not about emotional intelligence it is yet again about a set of rules and if these rules are not being obliged machine is intelligent enough to catch it and to let somebody know talk to me a little bit about how you see humans react to this automation field especially the emotional side of humans yeah that's this is a bit of a touchy area right and <laughs> it's 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 quite unfortunate that a lot of this messaging that has happened and and you know it also speaks to media mostly picking up the negative parts of it so that it sells <laughs> uh, and and this has been there even earlier too we always looked at technology as a villain um, but always it has come out as something that has helped us and i think i i'm a firm believer that it will help what i mean by that is that if you look at automation it's 
you know, we did automate some of those things where we said it's 100% automation, but I think the future is more about augmentation. And that's where more of the opportunities are. And if you look at it now, like if you look at the virtual assistants, which is being in, used in contact centers, or, or, you know, what we call as attended automation within our PS space is what's growing more. And, and, and that's because that's where the opportunities are more. If you step back and look at what actually automation does is automate specific things. There are specific areas that machines are good at and that's what they do. And so these are tasks that they are good at and they will do. So let's say Chris in finance is doing many activities, right? Of which some of the activities is going back to your document case, working with documents. So what automation does is help them remove that documents aspect so that they don't need to copy paste it. They're not contributing to bad data and then they are more efficient in what they do. Right. And so it does help them. It actually augments what they are doing. Now, having said that, there is that aspect that when you augment, when you bring in technology, it actually makes things more efficient. And so over a period of time, you don't need as many people to do the work. So, you know, there will be change in the jobs. Right. So the jobs the way we know it now is going to change. And that's always there. Change is the only constant, right? So jobs, exactly. are, jobs are going to change. And so we need to basically be upskilling ourselves. And it's in both sides. I, I would say I keep telling people who I come across in the technology field that, you know, guys, you need to learn more of the business skills. <laughs> and so because they both are coming together, business and technology, you cannot... They are both both more and more interlaced now. And similarly for the business people, it will be great for them to pick up uh, some more technology. And, and the idea would be that uh, we should focus on doing things which is more human and which is things which we are ideally suited to do. And there are specific things that humans have are suited to do. Which which is being more human, if you look at it. And there are so many skills like empathy or uh, building relationships and things like that, which where we excel at. And I think that's where our jobs would be. Uh, and we, machines will keep helping us. And the good thing, I think, is that with more efficiency coming in, there will just be an abundance of opportunity, in my view. That's what I think. I think there will be an abundance of opportunities to choose from. Uh, but we will be doing more than what we were doing uh, earlier, uh, thanks to the machines that will be will be helping us. And and we'll probably be doing probably not just one job, but maybe a portfolio of jobs. <laughs> Look, I, I I'm a technology optimist as well, right? I I um, help people to understand the vision and the value of technology. To your point, I, I love the way when you said uh, this is augmentation, not just automation. So. What I've seen in organizations who actually embrace these automation thinking, the intelligent automation, if you will, is that not only do they automate their mundane processes that humans can spend better time doing something else, but they're also identifying new processes that can be improved. For example, if I have the ability to automate OCR, right, and if I have the ability to kind of change the digitize the assets... I can now focus on how can I even automate my assets so that I don't even create these paper documents in the first place. What that is doing to you is not only is it saving millions of dollars, it is also optimizing your environment. It is the sustainability play. 
right? That one simple use case keeps coming back with a lot of my clients where they talk about environmental sustainability, they talk about automation, you know, upfront in the business process, if you will, but it's also analyzing this trending that you talked about, right? So the process intelligence trending, how do I improve my business process? By these RPA automation tools giving me, quote unquote, an X-ray, as you said, which parts of my process can I enhance, can I optimize, can I improve? You need a human to determine that. Machines are not smart enough to tell you exactly how to tweak the process because you guys know your process best. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And always there's that human element, right? I mean, and I am a firm believer that humans have to be in the lead everywhere. So the, as you said, you know, the inputs come to a human and they decide. So at the end of the day, we are deciding, but then uh, machines are there to help with a lot of things. That sounds fantastic. Well, so the other negative side of this, the consequence of this is privacy and security. You know, as you know, GDPR and CCPA, they, um, you know, they, they put that together to pro- pro- protect customer data. And I've seen a lot of automation around that, right? As in, you know, protecting customer data and making sure that customer data is cleaned up when a customer requests to be removed out of an enterprise. But do you see issues generally around the privacy and security of these bots? Because, you know, to be honest with you, they need rule-based bots are one thing. Rule-based RPAs are one thing. But when we talk about data-driven intelligent automation, that requires a lot of data for me to look into the insights. Where do you think the privacy and security rules lie? And what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, that's one problem, especially in the process intelligence space. And especially in Europe, uh, we see a lot of that issues because Europe has got very stringent privacy laws. And, uh, you know, when you look at process intelligence, they're basically monitoring the computers where people are working and then people may have aspects where you know they're probably taking a break from work and they're doing something else right maybe looking at facebook but and and they they're actually giving a lot of data away to facebook which they don't uh, bother but uh, <laughs> when, if if the if the process looks at it and then it's captured then it's a problem right so yeah there are these privacy issues out there which is a concern i mean which i uh, which i agree and uh, as i said i was talking to these guys from this field and they are working on that and uh, so far they've been get getting over it because they've been giving those um, options to turn off the monitoring or you know in, in ensuring that some applications which they're using are not captured in the in the flow and things like that uh, so yeah i mean there is flip side right and the whole thing with uh, data itself is a flip side right so i, I think if you give, if, if you will uh, a, a small uh, uh, sidebar uh, the whole thing that data is so powerful in my view is because you can actually look at things which we couldn't earlier and which I call as God algorithms, right? So there was this situations where we, we, we didn't know why certain things happened. Uh, and and we didn't we didn't care about it because yeah we said okay it had happens that way I don't know what 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 we can do about it. But now with data we can say, uh, yeah, I still don't know why that happens, but I can predict 
this will happen at this particular time or this is what that could happen which means that we are, we are having more power now and and that's where you know who who has more data has more power right and and so that whole thing it is very exciting as well as we need to be very responsible about it because people in wrong hands it can be used for wrong things which can which can be very bad right and so we should be very careful and the same interview that I was talking about with the process intelligence ceo he was saying that's one reason he is not putting that out uh, as for people to download and try it out because he wants to be very responsible about it and give it in only put it in hands of people who will use it responsibly there was a there was an analyst who once said nandan since you said data is the god algorithm right if you want to prove something with data if you are able to go five levels deeper to get all the data and insights of what you're trying to prove you can prove it even if it is wrong for a society you can prove that it is right with data data is that powerful exactly but at the same time this is what is leading to bias this is what is leading to bad actors right 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 so you got to be very very careful with the data driven intelligent automation because that means you can become a good actor for the society for the human in the loop you can also become a bad actor so i i appreciate the sentiment there um that data is the economy the future of this economy but at the same time you don't want to be kind of in the spot where facebook is right now right <laughs> yeah correct that that's awesome hey you know what um this is fascinating conversation nandan i you know um i i think we are close to running out of time here so what i would like to do is to wrap it up but before we wrap up i have something called a lightning round So this is me asking you questions about uh, your personal side. Let's start with what are your couple of favorite books and podcasts? You cannot choose your podcast. All right. Um in terms of uh, books, I like the book uh, which I recently read called Sovereign Individual. Um it's a book written just before 2000, you know, um they actually tell in very detailed view the digital future coming up at that time they look they have seen digital money and the whole digital enterprises and what they call about sovereign individual is that people who are adept you know will become sovereign individuals you know who 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 would have lots of power and and so and and so i think that's something very interesting and you know that uh, i i like that book and in terms of books i like to read i i i like uh, man search for meaning by victor frankl i don't know if you've heard of that book but it it's 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 about uh, a person who was in concentration camps and who survives that whole thing and that whole book shows the power of people even in such uh, bad scenarios right like the worst of situations uh, it's a hard read uh, it's it's tough to read through because it's a bit sad uh, but you know i i've been to concentration camps in germany in auschwitz and all that and i can relate to what he's saying and the way they he he actually came out survived that whole thing to write this and then he became he came up with uh, logotherapy and all that which is interesting way of 
looking at things, but it shows the the control we have even in such situations. And so, you know, we are nowhere there. So I think we are more in control. So it, it's, it's a good lesson to actually think about, you know, thinking about like you, we'll think of COVID and how bad we are and all that. But just contrasting with that, we are in so much better <laughs> situation. It sounds like a good book, especially now. Okay. Did you do anything special or different uh, personally during the COVID lockdown? For me personally, I realized that uh, we don't need to go shopping as much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and we can spend a lot more time with family. Uh, and, and, you know, just, just today afternoon, we actually had lunch outside because it's a gorgeous weather. We just went outside. We chose a park because we all at home anyway. So we went and had a lunch outside. Uh, and that's, we've been doing that. We, uh, last weekend, we went to Fort Worth. So we've been exploring the nearby area. So, you know, earlier we were like, yeah, how, which, which place can we fly to <laughs> for the vacation, for the long weekend? Now it's like, oh, I have this, these are areas so nice. You know, there's so many, so nice areas. I, I had not uh, explored the Louisville area so much. So all that, I think more and more I'm appreciating the local beauty and, and the uh, local vac- picnic spots and things like that, Yeah, the, which, is, which has been a revelation. That is very nice. And I appreciate uh, you appreciating nature. So yeah, this has been absolutely fantastic. Any um, last words to our listeners, especially executives who are either on their journey in automation, intelligent automation, or starting the journey? Where do they go? What what piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I tell everyone that you should have a combination of uh, technology skills and business skills going forward because uh, business is technology and technology is business. There's no separate tech companies out there. Uh, there are, but you know, they're more and more becoming less interesting, I would say. It's more more of how you can do business better with technology. So pick up both the skills uh, if you're on either side. And, and then one advice to you, like, I, I don't know if uh, people have heard of Kaifu Lee. He says that, you know, we've got gotten stuck to that thinking about jobs, got our identity attached to our jobs or organizations. I think I I would really suggest, I've been consciously doing that, is you know, have an identity beyond that and, and, and be more human. You know, there is this uh, new book and um, by uh, Kevin Rose, I think, is talking about how you can survive uh, this machine age, if you will, uh, is to be more human. You know, look to pick up more human skills, which machines can't do, right, which is uniquely yours. And that's one more thing I would emphasize on being uniquely yourself. Look at yourself and what's your unique strengths Focus on that. Be good at that. Be a sovereign individual. You have just spoiled me with so many books to read now, Nandan. Come on, man. (laughs) That's awesome. No, very nice. Very well said. Identity beyond jobs. That that is kind of a, a phenomenal statement to make. Nandan, thank you so much for shedding a lot of light in intelligent automation. But more importantly... As a person, what kind of person you are based on the books you recommended and the insights you've provided so far, these perspectives are going to be critical for folks who are listening to this podcast and and going through this automation journey. Thank you so much for your time today and good luck in your own journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Arvind. It was great. It was real fun uh, chatting with you. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to Intelligent Data with Arvind Morali. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at Perficient.com or listen to this series on top podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon.